Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today, I have Amy Devers, who is the Chief of Staff and Executive Director of People and Culture at Jupiter One. Hi, Amy. Welcome. Hello. How are you today, Lindsay? I am amazing because it is close to summer. Yes. <laughs> How about you? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's just get right into it. So please give our audience a chance to learn about you by telling us who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Sure. Absolutely. So thank you for the introduction. I'm Amy Devers, Chief of Staff, Executive Director of People and Culture at Jupiter One. But more importantly, I like to describe myself as a very non-traditional HR person. HR is actually my second career, so I uh, I did things a little differently than most people who uh, you know might join the field of human resources right out right out of college. So my background is actually in business operations. So in my early career, I attribute a lot of my success to having a very strongly rooted customer service background. Mm. Started working at 15 years old and had incredible mentors who um, had a service providing business, service providing business, a business that provided services and uh, taught me everything that I needed to know about what it means to provide good service to your customers. 15 years old, you said, what were you doing? (laughs) So, uh, so interestingly enough, uh, my very first job I ever had was washing chairs for a party rental company. So the chairs would go out for events like weddings, reunions. And when they come back in, uh, they'd often be covered in uh, mud or dirt, or maybe somebody spilled a drink on the chair. So when they came back in, I'd get to work on washing them so they'd be ready for the next event. Mm-hmm. And I love how you connect customer service to what you do, because I feel like people who have experience in customer service, they are really good at understanding people. So how did customer service help you uh, better understand people to get you into your career within uh, the people world? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And, And one I like to talk about because I think that it's so important to understand uh, the kind of that old adage, the, the Maya Angelou quote of people might not remember what you say, but they will remember how you make them feel. And I think that customer service is so rooted in providing a, uh, a feeling of warmth and uh, kindness, and that stays with people and ultimately makes them come back to want to do business with you. And, and we hear time and time again that people will purchase subpar products if they have an amazing experience and they know that, that there are good people behind it. Now, of course, the goal is not to provide ever subpar products, but just to kind of underscore <laughs> that point because our buyers are human beings and, and we want to take good care of one another. So uh, moving on from uh, my customer service days, and, and like I said, I had really incredible mentors, you know, who taught me everything from the appropriate way to answer a phone to uh, follow up skills and to ask good questions. And I think that 
ultimately the root of, of good service is asking good questions to make sure that you're understanding what it is that people are actually looking for, which translates really well to business operations and then, of course, human resources in general. So after, uh, I, after I turned 18, I moved into the world of auto finance, which was a whirlwind change uh, from party and equipment rentals. Uh, <laughs> but that was incredible because I learned a lot about you know, what it means to engage in a contract, what it means to secure financing, and largely how that affects a business in general. So I did that for many years. I've also ran a couple of, uh, ran and managed a couple of small businesses myself. And uh, about 12 years ago, I had an opportunity to sort of reinvent myself. And I'd always been drawn with that like I said, strong customer service background and providing good service to people in general and fell into human resources. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked back since. So at that time, I went back to school. I uh, got my degree in HR management, personnel administration. I started working for a small staffing agency where uh, I served as the HR administrator supporting the small staff, as well as providing staffing services. And then in addition to that, moving into executive placement. And that's where I absolutely fell in love with all things talent acquisition, human resources, and just the world of the people behind business operations. Wow, your, your history is so fascinating. So at 18 years old, you had legitimate business experience. Like, I mean, you have the experience that people could only wish they could have when they graduate college sometimes. And so how did that kind of give you a, a leg up in your career? Well, I, I will tell you this. I said I'm a non-traditional HR person, and that's very much true. And I think that uh, how I leveraged that really invaluable experience that I had as a, as a young person is my approach is to really serve as an operations partner to the business. And so mm-hmm. when people think about HR, they mostly think about hiring and firing, but it's so, so much more than that. And so my advice to HR practitioners is you should know your business just as well as the CEO, the COO, the head of sales, the head of engineering, whatever department it is, you should be as well-versed in the business, the product, and the people to make yourself invaluable. Mm-hmm. And that is so awesome that you have that business ops background to inform that. So can you talk about how, you know, what aspects of your business operations background you use within your human resources uh, role? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I, I will pivot just for a moment to to, to tell you when uh, I have HR folks who are either trying to enter into the field of HR or want to uh, kind of take their game to the next level, they always ask me, Amy, what HR certifi- certification should I get? Should I get like CERM, you know, SCP? Should I go with the HRCI like SPHR? And I always tell them, All of them are great. All of them are fine. But the most valuable certification that I have ever gotten as an HR professional and a business partner in general in supporting operations is my project management certification. So that typically surprises most people because they don't think of HR necessarily as project managers, but that's all they do. 
everything that we do from uh, growing the workforce, it has a beginning and an end typically, and you have to lay out the steps from how you achieve those goals. Uh, Say you're implementing a new HRIS system, uh, there's a beginning and an end, and you have to have those projects, you have to have key stakeholders, and at the end, you capture your lessons learned. So hands down, I always say, if you really want to take your uh, ability to provide an incredible service to your business, understand the ins and outs of project management. And when you say you're non-traditional, is that an example of the ways that you kind of go past tradition to find, um, you know, innovative and exciting different ways to level up your experience and uh, your the people that you work with, their experience? Yes, absolutely. So that would be one example. Uh, I joke about being non-traditional because... Unfortunately, I will tell you, every single HR professional I've ever worked with, anyone on my team or any of my colleagues in their teams, they're some of the hardest working people. And it's recently been shown, um, especially in the, you know, sort of pandemic and post-pandemic era, that talent acquisition and human resources, talent management in general is one of the top 10 most stressful positions. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of that has to do with, you know, managing so many irons in the fire because we're moving our projects forward, we're supporting the business, we're attracting new talent, but we're all, we also care so deeply about all of our people and we're managing their health and worried about their family, but also balancing that with continuing operations. So, so when I talk about non-traditional, what, what I really mean is you know, so many people get caught up on this hiring and firing attitude or, you know, that HR is hall monitors or, you know, we're the, um, you know, the gatekeeper of <laughs> progress or, um, you know, we're, we approach things in a very black and white fashion. I, I, I do none of those things. I have zero interest in a dress code policy, you know, show up neat, clean and presentable. That's all I care about. Um, you know, of course, there are legal aspects to the work that we do. So there are certain, of course, policies and procedures that we have to adhere to. But I'm a human being. And I understand that there's nuance to so many different things that we do. So yes, in, in another example would be, you know, do you have a policy? Why do you have that policy? Does it does it add impact to the business? Does it add value to the business? If it doesn't, why do you have it? Is it a checklist? If not, throw it out. Save yourself some time heart and heartache uh, and focus on the things that really matter. Now, my disclaimer there is, of course, you know, make sure that you're adhering to all appropriate employment laws and regulations. Um, but don't get caught up on uh, checking boxes just to check box because it's much more important to foster a culture of respect and inclusion and belonging and making people just feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated than it is making sure that, you know, people are wearing open or closed-toed shoes, not showing (laughs) holes in their jeans or, you know, some of these other ridiculous things that have been traditionally part of the HR world. Mm -hmm. I want to uh, talk a little bit about that culture of respect, which I know is really important to you. And what does that look like to you? Absolutely. So, so for me, uh, and 
and, and hey, let's be real, I work for Jupiter One. So it's easy to kind of tie, tie this back into the work that I'm doing, but it, it applies to any business in general. So it's funny, we see these, you know, these jokes, these videos, these memes about how people are yearning for opportunities to really be who they are at work. And so when I think about a culture of respect, it's not minimizing who you are. It's really enhancing who you are and giving you the space and opportunity to bring those things that we hired you for to the table. And so often it, it, it really breaks my heart because you'll see these companies out there you know, spending thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in their talent attraction processes. And then once they get to a company, it's like, we don't care about any of that experience that you brought with you that we hired you for. We want you to fall in line and do exactly what it is that we have described for you. And that's not, that's not a culture of respect. You know, we attract people and we say, bring your best self here and tell us what you loved about the other places that you worked and help us implement those things here. Now, of course, there are, there are guidelines and, uh, you know, we're, we're not able to do all of the things all of the time, but, you know, really celebrating, you know, who people are uh, as individuals and that rich work experience that they have and culminating that into sort of collaborative group thing really has contributed to our 3x growth over the last year. Yeah. And I, I love how you mentioned letting the person be who they are. Um, That is so important because it's so hard to put on a mask for eight hours a day and then go home and take off that mask and then you don't know who you are. (laughs) So when you are in an environment where you feel comfortable being yourself and comfortable having your ideas considered, um, that's a really wonderful opportunity for a person to be in. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I I truly believe that with all my heart. And, you know, the, the challenge of of a business is you only have so many resources to put in so many areas. So when I think about our total rewards, I always try to think about what's going to have the highest impact on our employees' lives. And, uh, you know, is it a flexible time off schedule? Not everybody wants to take two full weeks off at one time or three weeks. You know, some folks want to have 10 really long weekends. And so, you know, just simple things like that, like not pre-prescribing for folks how they can use their time off. And uh, one of the things that I think that we do really well is to celebrate, you know, those differences in that, you know, people uh, people celebrate and hold dear different holidays, for example. So, you know, you can use your flexible PTO to take off a holiday uh, or a long weekend, or, you know, maybe if you just want to have a mental health day in a random Tuesday in the middle of the month, you know, that's your time to use how you see fit. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of leaders use authority to demand respect. And I think that's a big problem with when respect is demanded. Um, Because in my career history, I've worked with a few of those leaders. And what usually happens is they demand respect, but aren't willing to reciprocate that toward me. And I think that's where workers have the problem where it's like, 
well, why should I respect you all the time when you are disrespecting me very often? Absolutely. And I, I think that's an excellent point that you bring up because we're seeing this really, I hate to use the word generational shift because I'm not going to use the words, <laughs> um, <laughs> but there is this historical shift, if you will, from do as I say, not as I do. And, um, you know, it's an employee's market and people do not tolerate toxic cultures anymore. I mean, maybe there are still some industries where where that it, it, you know still goes on, and 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 those poor folks there. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely intolerant of toxic geniuses, toxic environment cultures, and uh, any of that sort of authoritarian regime because people have too many choices. Not to mention that that's a swift way to drive turnover and um, also kill the culture. And I, I think it's a, it's a really important point because you say that you've, you've worked in those type of environments. So have I, and in, in the world of human resources and people management in general, it's, it's really challenging because you're, you're trying to achieve the business objectives while also trying to foster this, rewarding and enriching environment people are like we don't care about your perks my boss is a jerk yeah <laughs> and study after study shows that people will leave time and time again if they don't like their manager even if everything else is amazing and so one of the things that i really do try to focus on when i come into an organization is to make sure that executive management and uh, all of management in general is really driving a culture of not just inclusivity, because of course, I mean, that's mandatory, uh, but making sure that their people feel welcome, appreciated, respected, valued, that there aren't you know, nuances to one manager's approach uh, versus another manager's approach that, uh, you know, kind of drives any sort of resentment or, you know, toxicity or favoritism or things of that nature. And that's a, that's a tough job. It's a tough job because we're humans. We make mistakes. We have favorites. And uh, I, I personally feel that management is one of the most difficult jobs that's out there because not only do you have your own uh, objectives that you have to achieve, but you're also managing your team's outcomes and objectives too, while also motivating them, while also managing all of the you know personal life circumstances that comes with having a people team and you know managing things like time off and medical leaves. And, um, you know, hurt feelings and, and avoiding favoritism and things like that. So it, it's, it's a really tough job. It's a really tough job. And it, I think it is so, so important for HR business partners to make sure that they're giving their managers really good tools to be aware of their own biases and uh, provide a good experience for their team so that everyone wins. And you just basically transitioned into the next topic. I was going to ask you about giving leaders the tools that they need, because I know that's really important to you, because when leaders are developed, uh, everyone wins. 
So can you talk about, you know, why that's such an important thing for you um, to implement? Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, you'll hear me say this over and over again, that there is no one size fits all solution, Mm -hmm. not when it comes to employees or managers or any of that. So, you know, it's really important to make sure that you have a robust set of opportunities that can kind of touch on each area because one person's needs are going to be different than somebody else's needs. And you have managers who are, you know, newer emerging leaders versus, you know, seasoned professionals. But I think above all else, it's really important that there is an example in an organization that sets the bar and the tone for the environment. And, and one of the things that I, I, respected above all else is when I was interviewing to come work for Jupiter One, and tomorrow's my one-year anniversary. Hey, congrats. Pretty exciting. We At that time, we had 50 people. And as of today, we have 126 people. So tremendous. That's amazing. Absolutely. Um, But what really impressed me about the organization in uh, in talking to the entire executive team is that I did not have to convince them. I did not have to get their buy-in. I did not have to pitch them on the value of their people and the value of having really robust rewards and uh, talent career uh, growth and learning opportunities for people. They're absolutely buy-in, which uh, bought in, which makes my life so much easier, right? Coming in, yeah. I have to say, hey, you have to do these things to take good care of your people. They're like, we need to do these things, help us do them. So um, that's really, really important. But couple things. So having having a good example. So we have a very strong executive team with hundreds of years of combined experience who are not only really great leaders, but they also serve in mentoring capacities. And they all are just really nice people. Uh, kind, they respect one another. And that filters down. So I, I, I do consider myself to be very fortunate. So that's a start. You know, the, the second piece is to, you know, really have honest conversations with people about what's important to them. Because, you know, I might have one leader who already has, you know, maybe, you know, five or 10 years of experience in people leadership. He's like, I've, I've got the day-to-day stuff down. I know how to manage performance reviews. I know how to motivate my team. I know how to hold good team meetings. But what I'm looking for is my executive presence. I'd like to start participating in seminars or keynotes or um, you know, being able to command an audience. And so maybe for that leader, we provide an opportunity um, that's custom tailored to their experience. And then when you start looking at folks who maybe don't have as much experience uh, in management, especially those that are emerging, it's definitely critical to pair them with somebody that does have more experience so that they can kind of shadow and learn from them, but also to make sure that they have the basics covered, that more tactical experience, right? Like some new manager may have never conducted a performance review before. Provided, you know, kind of feedback. And so, you know, that's some of the most rewarding work that I do is, you know, when I have these really eager, excited new managers who are ready to hit the ground running and be the best manager that they could possibly be. And 
they're ready to learn and, and, you know, they really want to take good care of their folks. That that's one of the funnest parts of the work that I do is to giving them the tools to be successful, because I know that they're going to develop those people on their teams. And then hopefully we'll get some future leaders out of, out of those teams as well. Did that answer your question? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I love it. And, you know, one thing that, you know, you talked about the the pandemic earlier in our conversation. And one thing that I've noticed uh, by taking over hosting duties is that, you know, the people that come on um, our guests, they don't have problems with those headlines that are happening about the great resignation, about how nobody wants to work. And, you know, I have, yeah, I mean, I have you here, Amy, telling me about, you know, how fulfilled the people are, how you get to do the goals. And so I think that that's the wrong stories are being told because the people who know how to treat their employees, their people, they're not having these problems, as I've noticed, you know, with talking to various uh, individuals that prioritize people. Absolutely. And uh, this is this is one of those areas where uh, I've had a lot of conversations with my colleagues in the HR field and, and lots of conversations with executives uh, who are all... I, so so let's level set. So we are all facing the challenge of a labor shortage. And I vehemently disagree with the statement that nobody wants to work. I find it offensive. And, uh, and, and, and frankly, I, I think it's putting the blame in the wrong place. And uh, what we're not hearing is nobody wants to work under these circumstances anymore, and rightfully so. So, you know, especially, and we saw this during the pandemic where, you know, a company might be paying, let's say $10 an hour and let's, let's say it's fast food. And (laughs) this, this is kind of funny to me because I, I don't know if you remember this, but probably around, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, there was this whole debate about the fight for 15. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're past 15. We're at like $24, $26 an hour now. Yeah. That fight is like in our rear view mirrors. <laughs> yes. yes. And if you'll remember, the part that makes me chuckle is the people that were on the side of this is going to kill industry. This is going to kill business. We can't pay these people this money. Um, you know, if, if we have to pay $15 an hour minimum wage, we're going to have to install robots and everything will be automated. And, uh, here we are. I just drove past my McDonald's, uh, in the neighborhood the other day and it's, you know, starting wages, $15 an hour plus, plus, plus tuition and flexible schedule and management opportunities and health benefits and, you know, all of these things that they said they could never do. And yeah. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work for, you know, for less than, than what makes sense. And then, you know, you throw on top of that being in a pandemic. And so mm-hmm. you want me to work in a public facing job during a pandemic for $10 an hour, no daycares are open. I cannot afford to pay anybody to watch my kids for $10 an hour while I risk my health. If I have immune compromised 
self or family member. And so, you know, I think that this was sort of a culmination of a perfect storm of, uh, you know, really business needing to wake up and understand what's important to people. And also this was kind of a level set, I think, for our communities that Mm -hmm. people matter and without (laughs) workers, business does not go on. And, uh, and so there, there have been a lot of challenges, but I, but I am happy to see, I, I'm picking on McDonald's, but, you know, I am happy to see that they have increased their wages and, and become a bit more flexible in the process. And, you know, nobody wishes for a pandemic, but I do think that a lot of good has come out of this and in, in level setting, you know, what we expect of, of our workforces in general. Yeah. A really long way of answering your question, which is, we have very low turnover. And I think that's because we take good care of our people. <laughs> Congrats. That's awesome. Congratulations. So the last uh, five minutes, I want to talk about the opportunity that you were recently part of with a book. Can you share that with, with our audience? Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I am so happy to share and to announce and, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. So I work in the cybersecurity industry, and uh, at at Jupiter One, we've published a couple of books, uh, Modern Cybersecurity and the Cyber Defense Matrix, which were written by a, a collective total of hundreds of years of experience of security practitioners. What we found is it's a predominantly male voice that's out there. And uh, we know that statistically, the cybersecurity industry is comprised of about 25, 24%, excuse me, 24%, uh, you know, female or non-binary. And uh, who's showcasing their voices? And if no one else, why not us? And through a compendium of 18 uh female and non-binary authors, we put together Reinventing Cybersecurity. It is an incredible collection of uh, stories from uh, security practitioners, from individual contributors to executive level leadership. Uh, One of our authors is uh, Lotha, who's the CISO at Uber. Um, And myself, I wrote the preface. Uh, This book has been published. It's available on Amazon. It's also available to download via PDF at jupiter1.com. It she is a hefty lady. I know this is a podcast, but this book is 319 pages of incredible stories of overcoming imposter syndrome, facing discrimination, overcoming adversity, how to break into the industry and Ladies, we need you in the industry. <laughs> there is only 24% in the industry, which is crazy. And uh, just different educational resources and opportunities, but I highly recommend uh, folks uh, get Reinventing Cybersecurity. It is a, an incredible read and, and there's so much amazing content in there. And I'm, I'm humbled and honored to have been a part of it. Yeah. What was your favorite part about the process? Oh, gosh. Uh, so we set up a Slack workspace uh, for the authors to uh, communicate uh, during the writing and editing and drafting process. And so my favorite part 
was uh, collaborating with all of these amazing folks. And it, it was so interesting to watch one another cheer each other on as, as, you know, people were facing writer's block or, you know, even imposter syndrome, writing about imposter syndrome. And uh, it's, it, it was a really, really cool process. And to just see the culmination of all that work and effort into a physical book that I can hold in my hands is it, it, it's a really great feeling. Yeah. And what I connected to was the culture that the publishers and the writers created and how the writers just took advantage of that culture of community and support. And, you know, just going back to how important establishing culture is, um, you know, because you definitely benefited from that, that culture of having a Slack channel that could be, you know, you could ask anything of the, the collaborators. That's really cool. Yes, yes. And uh, the, the cheering of one another on once the book was finally published and uh, as we started to promote it together, it's just, it's really been an incredible ride so far. And uh, we've been sitting at the, the top number one uh, in privacy and security uh, booksellers. It's just, it's been really cool. And we are going to be at the RSA conference. We have a couple of book signings scheduled there. And so I'm just, I'm so looking forward to seeing where this journey takes us and uh, maybe what other books we publish in the future to give, you know, voices to those who have been traditionally underrepresented. Yeah, and I love that, you know, non-binary individuals are included too, because in a binary world, they often are excluded. So that's really awesome. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, and I'll, I'll, one one last thing, the, the cover of the book uh, that you can see if you look it up online was... Um, we, we purposefully sought out um, a Ukrainian artist who designed the cover of this book so that we could uh, provide some support there in our own way. Such a mindful process. That's really cool. Uh, well, thank you so much, Amy. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, before we say our goodbyes, uh, what is the best way for people to reach you if they'd like to get in contact? Yes, thank you. Uh, people can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm Amy Devers. And uh, also my email is amy.devers at jupiter1.com. Feel free to shoot me an email. I'd be glad to talk to you. Wonderful. Again, I'm Lindsay, host of People Analytics. If you or anyone you know are like Amy and passionate about people, feel free to reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.